Thank you, Josh, and thank you, elders. Thank you, church. It's a delight to be with you again. I really appreciate the time I've been able to spend with you in the past. We're going to look at Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, and then we'll read 3.13 near the end of that chapter, and then read through chapter 4. It's a pretty short chapter. I want you to listen carefully to God's Word and let it touch your hearts and continue to transform us. I believe that there's power in the Word of God because the Spirit laid it down. It's inspired by God. It continues to teach our hearts. Just the reading of it is so vital, but then that God would continue to explain it to us and touch it to our hearts through the ministry of His Holy Spirit. Listen carefully, God's holy word, Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking his mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, but for you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I was thinking especially on Labor Day. It's often a time when this weekend we spend more time with family. And in a way, maybe a special opportunity to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Let's pray that God might use His Word and speak to all of our hearts through the power of His Spirit. Let's ask the Lord for that. God, You are greater than we can imagine, and Your sovereign strength rules over all the universe, all the galaxies, all the stars. You know them by name. And yet, Father, You care for us down to the smallest detail, beyond what we can see, beyond what we know, every dimension, every power, every authority. Lord, it's all under Your hand. And look, Lord, You say You know the hairs on our head. You know our thoughts before we even think them. You care for us. You reach out to us. You show us the love of God through Your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, speak to us. That through your word and your spirit, your children may hear. And Father, if they're here, people who do not know you, bring them to a true and living faith in Jesus Christ. 
that they might know the wonder and the grace and the mercy of God, not only now, but for all eternity. Speak to our hearts. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a little boy, about nine or ten years old, I was really angry at my mom and dad for something. I can't even remember what it was. But I was determined I was going to run away from home. And I got one block, two blocks, three blocks. And then I remember, you know, there's food back there. There's a nice warm bed back there. There's people who take care of me, even though I get upset with them. And I came back home, and I just, I think a couple days later, I told my mom I ran away. She said, you did what? (laughs) She didn't have a clue. But I knew home was where I belonged. I had about 10 years to that, and I worked for a forester in um, Columbia, South Carolina. Actually, it was outside of Columbia. And I was marking pulpwood. Now, often, pulpwood stands are nice and neat, and they're planted, and they come all together. But this was an area where they wanted to kind of clean it out. And so I went in early. You don't have, a lot, have to have a lot of training to mark pulpwood. <laughs> I mark the base with some yellow paint, and then you'd mark about eye level so they could see which trees to cut. And the idea, you would take the weakest trees, kind of thin them out so they could let the other trees grow. Now, the interesting thing about that is they took me over to the place, they told me where it was, and I started marking the pulpwood. But like I said, it wasn't in a nice, neat stand, so I marked and marked and marked. I ate my lunch that day. It was getting about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I looked around, and I didn't know where I was. I was just totally lost. But there was something that helped me. Not too far away, there was a highway, and I could hear these cars rushing up and down the highway. So I walked and kind of meandered, found my way back to the highway, and not too far away, there was a store, and that kind of got me my bearings, and I got back to the car, but I was relieved to know how to get home. This was before GPS, by the way. So I had to work it out and figure it out. I wanted to come home. I needed to come home. Ultimately, God created us to be aware that we have a need for Him. Because of our sin and our blindness, we often don't see that. But by God's grace, He opens the eyes and begins to let people see there's something deeper that they need. And as God helps us, we begin to seek Him and seek and find Him. In the 1960s, some say that America went crazy. In a sense, they lost their way home. Wikipedia, that great bastion of knowledge, well, it's not always right, but, but it's helpful, called it the countercultural decade. There were revolutions of social norms, clothing, music, drugs, dress, sexuality, formalities, civil rights, and more. People denounced the decade as one of irresponsible excess, flamboyance, the decay of the social order, the fall of relaxation of social taboos. It included the Vietnam War, the Beatles, the Woodstock Music Festival, Man's Walk on the Moon, the so-called gay liberation, Mao Zedong's cultural revolution that probably killed between 15 million and 55 million Chinese citizens. They tried to redistribute the wealth. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. This was Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. The march from Selma to Montgomery marked the civil rights era in this period. In the early 1960s, 
the suicide rate was one of the highest marks it's been in our country. Young people and others struggled to make sense of life. While the 1960s brought much chaos, there were also some hopeful signs. Billy Graham was having a positive influence on the culture. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, a Christian pastor, evangelist, philosopher, went through a crisis of faith which led into a deeper knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, answers to some of the questions in the world around us. The Jesus People movement began to give hope to young people, not only the Jesus Revolution, if you saw that movie, but other areas of Christianity began reaching the youth as well. In the 1970s, Dr. James Dobson worked for biblical Christian values that would turn hearts towards home and Christian views of sexuality, of gender, of family. Groups like Campus Crusade for Christ held Expo 1972 in Dallas, Texas. And there, young people committed themselves to sharing the gospel, were trained to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with so many people. A Christian worldview began to be presented, and more and more people started buying into it. I wish it would have changed more people's lives. Still, we've seen a growing number of people turning away from faith. In the 60s, about 12% said they didn't believe. In 2022, 26% to 30% of people are in the category they called nuns. That's not a nun like a Catholic nun. That's N-O-N-E-S. Some people used to say, oh, we're spiritual, not religious. Some of them are not even doing that anymore. I've been praying for more leaders like Billy Graham, like Francis Schaeffer, James Stobson, Bill Bright, others. Frankly, what we need is a revival of a true faith, a true living faith in Jesus Christ. And in His church, we need to be catapulted into the world around us, not just hunkering down, not just circling the wagons, but getting out with the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners and transforms lives. We need people to help find them hope and direction, love, and frankly, good sense. It's not the first time in history these things have happened. Not just the 60s, not just in our days. Back in Moses' day, remember when Moses, the people of Israel, they came out of Egypt, God delivered them with miracle after miracle, come through the, de- the Red Sea and wonderfully passed through the Jordan. Excuse me, they passed through. I'm getting my seas mixed up, aren't I? <laughs> but they came to Mount Sinai. Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord. They saw this thunder, this lightning. The people of Israel saw it within 40 days. Moses had received the Ten Commandments, started coming down. And what were the people doing? Oh, God doesn't exist. Yeah, we just want to make this cow. We're going to follow that, and we're going to party. We're just going to play, and we're going to go back to Egypt. It's not the first generation that lost their way. King Saul was made the king, made by God, appointed by God. And yet before you know it, at the end of his life, he's seeking witches to give him direction, following unbiblical, ungodly advice. Elijah thought for a time he was the only one left that didn't bow the knee to Baal. Malachi was probably written, this book that we've just read, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, Israel had been taken into captivity, and they brought back, starting to rebuild the wall, starting to rebuild the temple and the worship, reading the Word of God to people. They're starting to get it. Nehemiah was so excited. Nehemiah had been a cupbearer to the king. 
And he comes in and shows the people how to live, and he has to fight against the, the false forces. And even inside God's people, there are some that really weren't believing and following the Lord. And he had to set them straight. And by God's grace, he prays and he works, and God grants him great success. And then he has to go back to some of his cupbearer duties or something there. We're not sure exactly why. He was gone for about 15 years. Some people think Malachi was written during that time. What's so sad is Nehemiah came back. And it's all like they blew off everything that he had taught them, everything that he had trained them to do. Malachi speaks to some of it. If you go thoroughly through the book of Malachi, God is giving like six arguments. It's almost like a court case against the people of Israel. Here's six ways that you have failed. And he challenges them to come back home to a true and a living faith. That's why I've called this message, Come Home. God's calling us to come back to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like in the Old Testament, they had to come back to the true and living faith. We come back to the true and living faith. We know more centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a shame that we turn so far away from even greater revelation than they had. Again and again, they argue against God. They fight against God. These so-called believers were worse mockers than unbelievers. Dr. R.C. Sproul used to call them practical atheists. When we as Christians live more like an atheist than we live like a believer. Look with me at the book of Malachi in this last section, this last book of the Old Testament. Let's see what God has to say about times and people caught up in such unbelief and how we can see it even in our own time, in our own hearts, and say, God, work on our hearts. How can we come back home, away from that empty hope that's superficial and ritual, and return to the true faith in our true and living God? That's what God calls us to today. Come home. Some come home, but not really. They were still mocking God. That's what we're going to talk about first. Some were heading home because they were fearing God. They had a right faith, and we'll talk about what that means. And then here in God's Word, it talks about our future home, the near future in the distant future of being with the Lord forever. Home but not home. They were mocking God. In Malachi's day, so many of the so-called believers claimed to be the true people of God, but they were only going through the motions. They didn't really believe what they said they believed. The whole book of Malachi, like I said, is this court case. God says something and they contradict it. Can you imagine talking back against the God of the universe? God who runs everything, God who's almighty, God who's sovereign Lord over all. God, you didn't do this right. you got to come back straighten this up. It's like they're shaking their fist at God. God forgives such foolishness. God challenges. They come back to God, and then God explains to them where they've really messed up. Six different times he confronts their unbelief, their unwillingness to confess their sins, repent, and turn from their sin. For instance, Malachi 3, 13 and 14. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. And then they come back, but but how have we spoken against you? You have said it's vain to serve God. You know what the word vain means? It means empty, a waste of time. They're almost like an atheist who says there is no God. In Psalm 10, verses 10 and 11, the wicked say, the helpless are crushed and sink down and fall by the wicked's might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. God's hidden his face. He'll never see it. The so-called believer in Malachi 3.14 says much the same. 
Further, this so-called believer doesn't obey God. He says, what profit is it to keep God's charges? You and I both know we don't earn our way to heaven. We can't be good enough. We admit that freely. But when you repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes into your heart and saves him, you want to follow Jesus. You don't just believe who he is, but believe what he says. When he says, love one another, you say, yes, that's the best way to live. God, help me live according to your way. But these were people saying, it's a waste of time to believe and follow God and trust him. God's way is not the best. I'm going to do it my way. That's what they were saying. These so-called believers. Further, these unbelievers supposedly mourned over their sin, but they never truly repented. They said, what profit is there when we walk in mourning? Walking in mourning. They, they had ceremonies where they would repent in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth is like a burlap bag. Maybe that's a good way to think of it, a thick, tough bag that wouldn't feel good. And they put it on themselves, and they take ashes from a fireplace and put it on their head, maybe put it on their forehead. Oh, woe is me. I've been so bad. They would go through and say all that, but they didn't mean it. I'm so thankful. Most of our PCA churches and a number of churches do confessions of sin, and I thank the Lord for that. But you can say the words and not mean them. That's what they were doing. They were saying it's a waste of time. Oh, they went through it. They wanted to look like they were spiritual and holy, and everyone, hey, look at me. I'm really repenting. I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. But they didn't mean it. It wasn't from the heart. Are our times of confession truly a desire to put away sinful habits? Do we really see, Lord, we haven't followed you. Lord, we haven't loved you like we should. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. Do we really want God to forgive us and to help us through the strength he gives us in Jesus to love more faithfully, more earnestly, more truly? God, work on the depth of our desires that we love you, that we're putting off our old sinful ways, putting on Christ by grace through faith. They went further. These so-called believers thought the best way to live was by being arrogant and bullying others. Malachi 3.15 says they call the arrogant blessed. Winning by intimidation. If I can just push over this person and run over them and get my way, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Did Jesus say something about the meek inherit the earth? Now, I understand that doesn't mean weak, but neither does it mean a bully. Pushing through my way by my power. They said, win by intimidation. They would probably laugh at people talking about humility and meekness or meekness. They would say it's more prosperous to be wicked and evil. You've heard that saying. I, I, I love and hate this saying. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, and don't share with anybody. Is that what our life is like? Is that what we're doing? Sometimes it is. God, forgive us. On top of that, they put God to the test in the sense they tried to see how much evil they could get away with doing. They would say they would be just as bad as they wanted to be, and there'd be no repercussions. I'll never have to pay for this. In their mind, there was no God. There was no eternal accountability. There was nothing they were going to have to do. They called themselves believers. They called themselves those of the faith, and yet they didn't walk like it. On top of that, no one would hold them accountable. Even in the so-called godly country, Israel was supposed to be following God, but these so-called believers acted as if they'd never be held accountable. 
Frankly, for a season, they would get away from it. Sin does prosper for a season. If you don't think it does, you don't fully understand life. Psalm 73, the psalmist is struggling with, God, I'm trying to do the right thing, but these wicked people are getting away with murder. Lord, when is this going to be settled? And he went before the Lord and saw there would become a day of accounting, even though they hadn't seen it. It says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that will he also reap. And these, unfortunately, were so-called believers trying to get away with this. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceive, deceiving yourselves. Jesus says, if you love me, do the things that I command you. Yes, there is grace. Yes, there is mercy. Yes, there is forgiveness. But it should drive us to follow Christ more closely, not to be more and more selfish. Grace was not given so you could be everything you want to be on your terms. It's to be what God calls us to be. It's not enough to merely know the words of God, to go through the motions with no true faith in Christ. But praise the Lord, in spite of the failure of many, there was still a godly remnant here. This first group claimed to be godly. They claimed they were at home with God, but they weren't at home with God. Not truly at home with Him. But there is a second group. The first group was mocking God, but the second group was fearing God. It says in Malachi 3.16, those who feared the Lord, ones who really did believe, they weren't just going through the motions. It was a true faith, true heart life. And they heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. Some said they were coming home, but they weren't coming home. But these others were fearing God and were heading home. It says, first, they feared the Lord with one another. You know, when you become a Christian, you say, Jesus, I believe you are the eternal, sinless Son of God who became flesh, lived among us a sinless life, died on the cross, paid for our sins, and rose again from the dead that we might be not only forgiven, but given new life and new strength to follow you. We say we believe that individually, but also you're born into a family, the family of God. And it's not just Redeemer at the Shoals. It's all of God's people. Yes, you come into a local body, and that's important that you have mutual accountability, but you're a part of the family of God. They were confessing their faith individually and together. We, we call it the one and the many, the individual and the corporate body of Christ. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, you remember we said it last time I was here, our Father. We ask for our daily bread, not just my daily bread, not just what I need to get by. God, help me today. Yes, but help my family. Help those other believers. Help the believers in the church. Help the believers in this community, the believers in this country, the believers in the world. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. We're not just thinking about me. I love the part, too, that says forgive us our debts. Don't just forgive me, Father. Forgive my wife, forgive my children, forgive my family, forgive my church. No church is perfect. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I'm very thankful. But if you read every New Testament book that talks about the church, sooner or later, they stumble. Pray for your church. Pray for your leaders. Pray for God's continued blessing, continued direction. 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yeah, but Lord, you got to see how bad they're. Lord, did you see what they're? Jesus loved Judas to the uttermost. Stephen, they're throwing rocks at him. They're killing him. Lord, do not hold this sin against their account. No, I'm not always there, but that's what I'm praying for. Give us that kind of heart. The Lord paid attention to them. He took notice and turned to them. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. When his grace is working in you, you want to know Christ even better. And when you know Christ even better, you seek him through his word, through his spirit, through his prayer, through worship, through the means of grace, the gifts that God's given to his church. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They responded by grace through faith in Jesus. The Lord now he paid attention to them. He heard them when they prayed. God commanded them to seek his face, and they sought his face. God was with them to give them strength through every trial. I'm not saying you won't have trials. I think that's a lie from the devil. You, people sometimes, oh, if you love God, everything's going to work out wonderfully. It will not. Sometimes it's going to be hard. You're going to fight against your sinful flesh, against the world that presses against you, and even the devil. But God gives the strength to fight back. And he's the anchor. You're not the anchor. Praise the Lord. He's the anchor. God not only paid attention to them, they wrote their names in the book of remembrance. I love this reality. We as believers are called continually to remember the Lord. But can I tell you what? I'm getting older. I got friends that got dementia. Wonderful Christian friends. Alzheimer's. God says in Isaiah, he's engraven the names of his children on his hands. God knows his sheep by name. You may forget. God will never forget. Isn't that beautiful? In heaven, it all work again, folks. But for now, sometimes it doesn't. God will not forget even those who give a cup of cold water in his name. They feared the Lord. That doesn't mean they cowered in a corner. It means they realized how great and mighty and awesome God was. Every once in a while, I've had an occasion to meet an important person. I think um, George Bush Jr. was running for the presidency. I got to meet him and shake his hand. I just, I was, you know, that was great. Got to see a quote-unquote a couple movie stars and musicians. And, and you know, kind of, wow, that's pretty cool. We know the God of the universe. There is nothing cooler, more majestic, more wondrous. You might be a little nervous in front of a celebrity, in front of a politician, in front of somebody that's achieved some great success in this life. We stand, or actually we should fall on our faces, before the sovereign God of the universe. They feared the Lord. It didn't mean they cowered in a corner. They recognized how great God was, how great God is, and mighty he is. I love electricity. I don't want to tell you the stupid things I've done with electricity a few times when I was younger. There are certain things I know, though, you don't play with a live wire. You could die grabbing a hold of a line of electricity. Don't play with it. Don't, don't even for a minute. And yet I respect electricity. I use it. We're using it here. We're using it in so many ways. I use it at home. You use it at home. I'm very thankful for it. 
I don't cower in fear in front of electricity. I use the electricity. Now, be careful here because you want to be, I'm not using God. But he's the great and mighty Lord of the whole universe. He's God who alone is God, and there's none like him. When he speaks, it's done. When he brings judgment, it will occur. The reverence for God of his great power, yet his great love. He loves us, and he bids us come to him. And just like I can use electricity so I can follow God's will and way, trusting Jesus, I can walk with him and know his help inside my life so I can walk with him. And the power that he's talking about is that inner power that strengthens us and brings his children safely home. They feared the Lord, and the Lord esteemed him. They didn't really seek God for their own purposes. What can I get out of it? If I love God enough, he'll give me a box of candy. No. God's not a vending machine. But if I love and serve and honor God, I'm doing what I was designed to do, and I'll find my greatest fulfillment, my greatest purpose, my greatest destiny there for myself and for those around me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's way is always the best way. Those who feared the Lord and esteemed him were called by God's name. They were the precious treasure of God. If you've come to the point where you've repented and trusted in Jesus, did you know that you're a precious treasure of God? Not only does he know your name, he let his son shed his blood for you. And when he did that, it brought you newness of life. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we're precious treasures. We're like trophies of his grace. And God is so excited about the transformation he's wrought in us. It goes on in this passage, it says, God will spare his people as a man spares his son. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. God didn't spare his son so that we could be spared, so that we could be delivered Simply by trusting in him, repenting of our sins and clinging to Jesus, he alone is our salvation. He alone transforms us. And just as God promised those believers in Malachi Day would see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, so Jesus made clear all who believe in him will see the difference one day between the wheat and the tares, between the sheep and the goats, between the believers and the unbelievers. There will come a final day of accounting. There will be a day when those who repented and trusted Christ for their righteousness will see his righteousness and the evil of those who refuse to follow their creator. They will see the full wisdom and justice and mercy of God. There's some that claim to be home, but they weren't home. There are some that are coming home. They're, they're fearing God and they're trusting God. But this all leads to the point here at the end of the future. There is a future home. For Israel, there was an immediate future, a coming future, actually about 400 years, and there was the future of eternity. The forever future day is coming when the heavens and the earth will be burned with a great heat. The wicked will be cast into the lake that burns with fire, which is called the second death. Isaiah 66, 24 says, The worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched. Christ quoted this passage repeatedly in the Gospels about hell. I don't think we talk enough about hell. Unless we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to hell. Oh, God would never send anybody to hell. It's their sin that sends them to hell. It's the wrath of God. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. 
We get so mad if somebody offends us just a little bit. How dare they offend me? How dare they offend the God of the universe? When God reached out to them in love again and again and again and showed them grace and showed them mercy and showed them the path. God have mercy. I pray, and I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. I pray that my worst enemies don't go to hell. I want them to repent and believe while they can. Please, God, change their hearts now. Please change their hearts before it's too late. If ever future day is coming, a day of God's judgment. But God also tells us here, Malachi says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. I love that picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's not S-O-N, though I think it refers to the sun. It's kind of a hint of the sun to come. You know, we've had this hot Alabama summer, haven't we? Been awful. (laughs) Very hot. Not the hottest in the world, but very hot. And we've hated it. The sun sometimes can melt. It's just said it would burn like fire. But in the wintertime, when it starts off very chilly in the morning and that sun comes and warms you, all of a sudden you're so grateful for that sun. You see, it has those two different effects. God's light could burn and destroy, or God's light can bring healing. The sun of righteousness with healing in its wings. To know Christ is to know the gentleness of the warmth of God's Son that brings life, brings life when we plant in our gardens, brings life in the world around us, not to destroy, but to give hope and to give a future. God's children will be made whole. There'll be no longer sin, no pain, no death, no crying, no tears. Matter of fact, it goes on in this passage. I love this. Maybe y'all were raised in a farm. I wasn't. I, I just don't know. But I read a little bit and say, if you locked some little calves in a barn for long enough, a few days, and then you let them out in the warm sunshine, they're going to be bouncing. I can have just picture in my mind of these calves just jumping and bouncing. They're just full of life. They are so excited. Heaven's going to be like that. I was going to share with you my youngest daughter now has three children he's a music director at a pca church in winston-salem um but when they got married in montgomery alabama we were at the shakespeare festival for the reception a lot of their seniors were there they were all mississippi state students well she had friends from other places but that's where they went to school one of the fun things was to watch them celebrate wonderful group of christians the dancing the celebration was just wonderful and i'm thinking that's a little bit what heaven's going to be like. It's all going to be about Jesus. It's going to be this wonderful celebration. We gather together, we rejoice, and we won't ever stop. Yes, we'll be serving him. I think he has work for us to do, but at the same time, a rejoicing work, a blessed work, just like those calves leaping and celebrating. In the near future, I talk about the distant future with these other things. In the near future, God's people, this will come 400 years later, God will bring Israel back to remember the true law of God, its intent. You know the purpose of the law in the Old Testament? There are actually three purposes, but the main one I would mention to you, it was a schoolmaster to lead them to Christ, 
to show them that they needed Jesus, to show them that Jesus was that final sacrifice that was going to fulfill what they couldn't do for themselves. So John the Baptist would come and remind them of their sin, but also point them to their Savior. When Elijah comes, he will turn the hearts towards home. The hearts of the fathers will turn to their children, be concerned for their welfare. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord will have mercy on those who fear him. But the children, too, will be turned once more to their fathers in love and respect. This is part of what we're seeking to do through Child Evangelism Fellowship. We go out and try to teach the gospel to children in the community with the hopes that they'll come to faith in Jesus and come to their heavenly Father. It will restore families and then by God's grace help build churches so that we're trying to seek ways. And we're not the only one doing this. Thankful for your church and the ministries there. I'm thankful for Campus Crusade for Christ, many other ministries that are reaching out. But we're trying especially to do this. To turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children. We're seeking to turn the children to the Heavenly Father as well as in this culture we've got so many wrong things. There are drag queens, there are sex traffickers. Many in government are trying to turn children away from God, away from their parents, away from the life that's best for them. Part of what we're doing is seeking to send them back to home. James Dobson's film were called Turn Your Heart Towards Home. But here at the very end of Malachi, there's a warning. If they would not turn, they'd be headed back for destruction. John was saying, turn while you can. Turn to Christ while you can. I don't know what the future days hold. I'd like to tell you if I've got all the um, end times all figured out, I don't. I know Jesus will return. And I know we need to trust him. And I know we need, we need to be ready. And do everything we can by God's grace to help others be ready to. So I told you before, I'll tell you again, please, when you're talking about people who don't know Jesus, don't pray for their destruction. Pray that God would change their hearts first. And if God won't change their hearts, this is my prayer. There are imprecatory psalms, but this is the way I would urge you to pray. God, either change their hearts or remove their evil influence. Change their hearts or remove their evil influence. I want to leave you with three applications before we come to the Lord's table. It's only in the Lord that we find strength to do these things. First, examine your own heart. We've been going through a pretty intense part of Malachi. Lord, have I just been playing games with my faith? I've known people. I've known young men in high school that claimed to be Christians, later came back from college and said, I've got to confess I wasn't following Jesus. I just joined the church because it was the right thing to do. Look at your own heart. Are you trusting Jesus? Admitting you're a sinner and seeking to grow out of your sins by the grace that Jesus gives. The sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus once for all. You don't have to earn them. But if you're a child of God, you want to more and more put away your sin and more and more trust and put on Jesus by the grace that he gives. Examine your own heart. Where are you with the Lord? If you don't know Jesus, I urge you today, repent of your sins and come to Jesus. He will take you. Even if you've lied, even if you've been a hypocrite, even if you've been trying to fool, but if you finally see it, God can turn your heart around. Come now to Jesus. Talk to me. No, Randall Yelverton would love to talk to you. Elders would love to talk to you as well. Second, recommit yourself to God and to each other. Praying for each other, asking God to help you. 
Listen, we could recommit every day because we just need that kind of help. Fortunately, the strength is in the Lord. I read a study um, just a couple of weeks ago that said they'd done an extensive study of many Christians following the Lord. Those that read the Bible at least four days a week, sincerely seeking the Lord, not earning this, have better mental health. I'm talking about mental health. I'm not saying they never have depression. I'm not saying they don't have to struggle with other things. But it can strengthen your mental health as you find your anchor in the Lord Jesus Christ. Use the tools God's given to strengthen your heart and life. Third, pray and do what you can to turn hearts towards home. Please pray for our ministry, Child Evangelism Fellowship. We're working in this area. I'm so glad for what, um, well, we're not, we're, we have a ministry that goes across North Alabama. I'm so thankful for many things. I love Skylar Stewart and what he's doing with Common Ground. Y'all supporting him. I just love many of the ministries that are reaching out. But pray even more people will reach out and seek to t- turn the hearts of children to fathers and fathers to children, even as the Scripture challenges us. I want to see our children come home to Jesus, to their families, and finally home to heaven. Isn't that what you want? Let's pray. Father, help us come home. Come home to Jesus. Father, if they're here, people that don't know Jesus at all, I pray they would repent of their sins and come to Jesus even today. But, Father, for those who already know you, Father, we confess that sometimes we get off the path. We turn our eyes away from Jesus. We start thinking that all this is a waste of time. Father, help us not be practical atheists. Help us be people that really do follow Jesus. Bring us home and then use us, O Lord, to help others come home to Jesus also. For it's in his holy and precious name we ask it. Amen.